episode four of Tunes Mate. I'm Mark. I'm Ray. And this week we've got an opportunity to sit down with the drummer of Weird Al, Mr. John Bermuda Schwartz. He's been with the band for for almost forty years. It's pretty amazing. I mean, if you think about it, I, I know you know there's you know you've got the bassist, you've got the guitar player, but the drummer is somebody that he's. Mm -hmm keeping things together i mean if you think about all the great drummers out there you know you've got i don't know i mean i guess you can go buddy rich you can go yep. charlie watts you can go yep. alex van halen ginger baker that's right don yeah. henley yeah don henley think back to uh john bonham Keith right Moon. yeah i mean there's yeah. so many and all those famous drum i mean who's uh was it mick fleetwood yeah fleetwood mac i mean he keeps that yep. together and it's yep. amazing you know it's they impact the music just like anyone else yep. but they're there to keep everyone together and without that beat many artists are lost i'll give you an example many years ago i went to go see donny iris and the cruisers we were mm -hmm. out at uh one of those rib fests or something right and within the first minute of the set the drummer blows out i don't know is it the, the double bass or something like that all he has is a snare drum and donny iris gets up and says well folks um i I can't play without a drummer. I've never done that before. And all of a sudden, you know, he's up there trying to improv, do an acoustic, and it just wasn't working. So they took a break. It was like literally a 45-minute break. You got all these people standing around. I mean, he was the headliner, and they had to bring another drum kit in. So, I mean, if you think about it, can some artists survive without the drummer? And I think in this case, John has been there from the beginning. He auditioned. You know, you hear some of the story, how he had the opportunity on the Dr. Demento show to go in and play with Al on one of his first songs. And ever since... He's been the drummer. Right. You know, to kind of emphasize your point there a little bit. So I kind of think back to, I played marching band in high school, you know, back in Stone Ages 30 years ago. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there's it, something about the identity of the drummer that's really, as you said, sort of the, the heart, the set the beat for everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think marching band is the perfect example of how that happens. When you're, when you're marching in a parade, who does the cadence? The drum. Right. So, right. you know, you're, you're marching along. And you've got some kind of drum cadence going on. They're what's keeping the beat. They're what's keeping everybody in line. They're what's setting the tone for everything else that goes on top of it. And so in that regard, I think you you're, you got a really good point that the drums are uh, maybe at the heart of, of what goes on. You know, I mean, well, you know, I kind of think about it, even I, I hesitate to use the word heart, but then think about Huey Lewis's The Heart of Rock and Roll. That's right. Right? It's, it's the beaten, right? That's what he argued. Maybe that song makes this point as well as anything. That song is essentially an argument. It's the argument that the heart of rock and roll is the beaten, right? The, you know, the heart of rock. What's the heart of rock? It's the beat. And he, he makes the argument, oh, they got all these wild styles in New York and L.A. and whatever. But ultimately, it's that, that same old backbeat rhythm that really, really kicks him in the, you know, right? That's right. that's the idea, that that basic rhythm. And then, as you said, the bassist, and as a former bassist myself, that you know, is a certain tendency I have to sort of uh, want to uh, recognize the, the bassists who oftentimes can go unrecognized. But it really there is really something to drums that, that make it. And I think the other thing that I think of with drums is you know in my car or when i'm when i'm listening to music i'll do air guitar right i'll do air piano me you too know, but but there are distinctive songs that i will drum to like every time i hear them 
when faithfully by journey is on i'm forever yours faithfully right there's that that guitar line that comes in and the drums come in mm-hmm. right there's that drum beat that comes in just before they go into the next verse i can't help it i got to do that drum beat and the other one for me is uh, take me home by phil collins that that back that drum rhythm that he has that goes through the whole song i mean I'll, i'm sitting here at a stoplight in my car cool i hit a stoplight so i can do a a couple of measures of that that drum rhythm that he's got there. You know, the, the drums really are sort of that timekeeper that keeps everything going. Yeah. And I was, funny story I was thinking about, we kind of kicked it off by talking about some of the famous drummers that are out there. And, you know, even with you too, what is it, Larry Mullen Jr.? Yep. And I read something really interesting about him recently. He said that when he gets a song, he actually needs to see the lyrics he needs to understand the lyrics Mm -hmm. to figure out how the drum and cadence is going to go and it is fascinating how that particular notion right there you never think that a drummer would need to understand the entire context of a song in order to play along with it oh you know they're they're just going to play you know some kind of four four time meter but as you will see in this conversation with John, he talks about all the different varying styles that he has to play and figure out. And he said, you know, as a matter of fact, Weird Al isn't the only band I play in. I play in four other bands. So drummers need to keep going in order mm-hmm. to stay not only in in time with the band itself, but to stay fit and, and stay relevant. And I think that is something also that as a drummer, there is a lot of pressure on you to keep playing at the level that you expect. I mean, think about, we even talked about Charlie Watts with the Rolling Stones. Yep. I mean, amazing yep. that at this this point, they're still out there touring <laughs> and after all these years, but it's got to be the fact that you just love to drum. Yep. Well, we're going to jump into the interview and without further ado, here's John Bermuda Schwartz here in Tunesmate. Enjoy. Today we are joined by a legend, a legend of drumming, John Bermuda Schwartz. Hi, John. Oh, hey, Mark. Well, thank you for the kind words. I, legend might be a little strong, but thank you. <laughs> That's fine. Well, it's it's so great to have you on the phone, and it's just interesting. I mean, you've had such a long, illustrious career of so many things. First of all, just tell us you know, your background. It, obviously, you've been drumming for a while. When did you first start drumming? Well, I started in 1965. I was I had just turned nine years old. And I inherited my brother's drums and uh, began taking lessons and and never stopped. Never stopped. I know you obviously are associated with a band for quite some time. Would you uh, care to talk about some of the bands and some of the things that you've done over your, that lustrous? You started at nine. You keep going. What things have you stumbled into? Well, I started playing with, uh, I, I played in school bands, which meant orchestras, things like that. So mm-hmm. I didn't really know like guitar players or bass players or really even piano players. I mean, everyone I knew played a horn, you know, a flute or a a trombone or clarinet or something like that. Mm -hmm. So some of my first projects involved other players, sax and trumpet and and Mm -hmm. clarinet and things like that. And gradually, you know, met other players and played uh, more pop instruments and uh, have always been in a band or two or three or five. I think (laughs) I'm in five bands right now, including Weird Al. And, uh, so I keep busy between tours as well, and some of those associations have been pretty long, one almost as long as with Weird Al. I've been uh, playing with Rip Masters mm-hmm. since early 1981. Uh, I've recorded and gigged with him uh, the, quite a bit. I'm in another band called Idle Hands. I've been in there uh-huh. for about 13, 14 years. I play with the Zero G Band, 
I've been involved with them for seven or eight years. I uh, sub with a group called Crown City Bombers and also sub with a group called Little Mo and the Dynaflows. It sounds like drumming. It sounds like it's your love. Do you constantly drum? I mean, is it like as soon as you drum, are you doing air drumming on, on your uh, dashboard or how does that work? I, you know, probably. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's sort of unconscious. I mean, I don't, I, you know, drumming is not my whole life. I mean, it's part of my life. Right. And, uh, you know, I probably do tap my fingers and, and my feet. And I, I probably don't even think about it. I mean, I'm, I'm doing it right now, now that you mentioned it. Because <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a keyboard player and... My significant other says there are many times where, you know, I'm stopped at a light and I'm, I'm playing keys on, you know, the actual dashboard. And just when a good song comes on, you know, you need to express yourself. You know, it just it just it just happens. <laughs> so talk about drumming. You've like you said, you've been in so many different bands. Is there a particular style that is more challenging than another or is it does it ebb and flow? Is it in the studio? It's different than when you're touring. How does that work? Well, as far as styles, I mean, certainly there are some different drumming styles. A lot of it is for the drummer is very straight ahead, and the and the style is dictated by the the, uh, the music and and the uh, sounds and the syncopation around it very mm-hmm. often. Uh, but there are certain very specific types of you know jazz is a very specific thing, and reggae is a very specific thing, and fusion is you know a, a mixture of a couple of specific things. It's not just straight two and four. Mm-hmm. Playing two and four can apply to a whole lot of different styles, though. And, and that's how, I mean, it's, it's nice to be accused of playing a lot of styles, but I, in fact, play just a couple of styles and the people around me are the ones that re- really make it work. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is you talked about all the different styles and I would imagine that once you, you pick a style, so let's say you talked about, you know, you're in reggae and you're, you're going down that path. Are you looking for cues from other bandmates to you inspire you as you're going through or do you have a mindset of when you start that this is how I'm going to go some all the bands that you listed out of one of those is more like more of a jam band where you can just keep going after a while you just you're just kind of riffing off of each other and some are very specific where you've got a, a very specific start and end point well some of the bands have, have specific arrangements and and you know like if it's a cover band then we play the song the way we play it, and there's very little variation. I mean, maybe if someone's doing a great solo, they'll get another eight or 16 bars out of it. But, you know, there are other situations. I mean, in every situation, I do play off the other players. I mean, whether there's an arrangement or whether I'm, I'm sort of feeling where they're going or they're feeling something I'm doing. I mean, it's a very, you know, playing in a band is a very interactive kind of a sport, I guess. You know, I, I don't think anyone could just go in there, do something, and then expect everyone else to do their thing and have it all gel. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of interaction and it's very subtle and it's kind of hard to define. You just, mm-hmm. you hear it and, and you react. And the better players, the players that are more in demand, I guess, react better to other musicians than players who do, don't get a lot mm-hmm. of work. You know, those who react better work more often, let's put it that way. <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah, because I know and I've seen in you know some of the sets with Weird Al that there's something that he says it's drum solo time, and I believe you hit one note or two notes. Do you actually get to perform drum solos in some of the other bands? I know that's kind of a running joke, but when I hear drum solo, uh, it's the complete opposite from what I've witnessed with your drumming. Well, at the bands I'm playing with, a drum solo really doesn't work. And if anyone is ever tempted, I usually let them know up front when I first joined a band or if I'm subbing with someone, you know, that I, I really don't, unless the solo is part of a song, you know, that's different. I mean, okay. if, if we're playing the end by the Beatles, you know, there's 
Ringo's drum solo. Well, there's a solo in that, and that's fine. And I'll play something very similar, okay. you know, if not exact. I mean, that's what makes that song that song. Mm -hmm. As far as me cooking up something just to have a solo, uh, I would prefer not to. <laughs> so, so that is kind of a running joke. Then it does kind of fits the uh, the model there. From uh, well, with, yeah. with Al, I mean, way back, uh, we all used to do kind of serious solos. I mean, we would you know take 15, 20, 30 seconds and just cut loose and shred and. You know, the audience, it was very polite applause. And then one year, uh, very early on, we realized that if we did something stupid, that that, that just drove them nuts. And they thought that was hilarious because they're expecting this thing. And, and then it's, uh, you know, turns out to just be a yeah. stupid, horrible solo. And they thought that's great. So that, that tradition has continued. You know, we've stopped yeah. trying to actually show off. And, and my ultimate solo, I think, was, was no notes at all. I think I literally <laughs> just picked up the sticks, put them down, and... and and took a bow. That's awesome. Was that during the Sound of Silence? That was during, yeah, that was in the middle of that song. And uh, very, very appropriate, I should add. I figured. So it seems like you've, you've got a bunch of stories. Are, are there any favorite, is there one particular road story that jumps out of your mind from any of the bands that you've been with that just you're able to tell? Well, this is where I really should have probably sit down and thought about that one. Uh, you know, I, I certainly there are. Uh, you know, nothing that I couldn't talk about. There's just everything that happens is probably mm -hmm. worthy of describing, you know, whether it's someplace we visit for the first time or some audience that was particularly good or particularly bad uh, <laughs> or something terrible that happened on stage or Al mm -hmm. walked off the front of the stage a couple of times, oh. uh, you know, things like that. You know, I mean, nobody ever died and, you know, nobody ever got hurt too badly. But uh, no, you know, our tours go very smoothly and uh, everything works like it's supposed to. And, yeah. and that's a good thing. And that makes it more enjoyable. Right. And, uh, you know, if we get a day off somewhere that's fun, that's icing on the cake, you know, and, and that's we were in D.C. for the very first time. And, and I went to the Smithsonian Institute and I hit, what is it, like seven buildings? I think I did well, whatever. I hit all the buildings like within two hours. It's amazing. And, and well, I was running mostly. <laughs> you got your steps but, in. <laughs> I, you know, I went and I, I saw the, the space stuff and I saw the, the uh, Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or one of those old papers, mm -hmm. and uh, I just kind of breezed through them very, very quickly. I'd love to go back sometime and spend maybe maybe three or four hours. That'd be great. Yeah, so that's perfect because now you can on your map of things to do. You're like, okay, I've been there, and now next time I'm gonna get a little more done. And that that is interesting, though. I mean, you've probably seen the world through so many different places. There's probably so many things that. It's probably tough for you to describe. But one thing I think is interesting that to everyone that's listening is you are the official transcriber or uh, keeping track of all the archives of, of everything uh, for particularly Weird Al. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I, I keep the archive of everything that's worth keeping. Mm -hmm. I keep all the records of uh, uh, dates and sessions and, and anything interesting that happened at a particular venue. Yeah, I've, I've got all the lists. I've got every day and and location that we recorded videos. I mean, everything that happened, I've logged. And I did that from day one. But I, I had always done that. It wasn't anything to do with Al. And I didn't, you know, it, when I met him, think, oh, boy, I better, mm -hmm. I better start cataloging everything. This is going to be big. I, you know, none of us had any idea. I just had always been that way. I'd always made tapes of, of rehearsals and gigs. And, you know, I kept ticket stubs for all the gigs I did and, and flyers and you know, any, anything that had to do with something I did, I kept it. Maybe that's a little self-serving. I guess uh, there's a little bit of that, too. Yeah. But uh, I just I just like scrapbooking. So I, I was already in that mode when I met Al. And, uh, mm -hmm. in fact, the very first thing I collected in my career with Al was the night I met him. And it was at KMET in Los Angeles, the radio station that 
Dr. Demento did a show from, mm -hmm. and there was a uh, pass that let me in, uh, you know, a little, basically a little card that had the date and my name on it that allowed me to enter the building. And I still got that. That's cool. That was the very first bit of memorabilia in, in my career with Al. And uh, it was the night I met him, and I had that before I even met him. And But it's still in my collection, and it happens to be in pristine condition, so that's kind of cool. That is cool. Because especially after you went to the Smithsonian, you know, now because of your, your quick two-hour tour, you probably have some better archiving knowledge now. You can apply to your, <laughs> your collection. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I learned a lot there. Two, you can learn a lot in two hours. <laughs> That's, it sounds like a bumper sticker right there. I feel like we, we, we need to, to invest in. But that's so you've had quite a journey. I mean, the one thing I kept thinking about, and I share this podcast with my colleague, Ray Shuck, and we've been doing our music blog now for 10 years. And he's a popular culture teacher at a local university. And his question is just trying to understand why do you think Weird Al has made such a impact over the last 35 years? Just is there something that jumps out? Why is that? Well, one, he's he's very good at what he does. He has a really good appeal, and he's always current. He didn't just sort of wasn't just a flash in the pan. And he's got a few people that remember what he did 30 you know 35 years ago. Mm -hmm. He's always current through the. Uh, projects, the songs, or, or, you know, if he's doing voiceovers, whatever it is, he's always, he's always in the now. And that's mm. also how we gain new audience. I mean, we, you know, our audience grew up with us, but there are kids, you know, their kids grew up with us and there are kids, there's five and six year olds in the audience here. And, you know, to us, they're new to, mm -hmm. to them, we're new. And, uh, you know, because what we're doing is current for them. So I think that's, that's how he's been able to do. It. He's just, he's always current. And how does that impact you from a drummer? For example, do you have to go and figure out how to sequence Amish Paradise as all the way down to, to foil? How does, how does that work you know, from your ability? Are you continually increasing your knowledge of, of drumming and styles too? Oh, yeah. Oh, I have to learn a lot. I mean, I've really grown up with Al because and, and, uh, he's basically chasing the recordings of some of the top producers, cutting edge stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And we've got to stay up with that. And, you know, we don't have a roadmap. I mean, we're learning as we go. So, uh, I mean, my first drum machine was in early 1985. I think I realized that if I didn't program the drums, that, uh, you know, a keyboard player or someone else would come in and do it, you know, and do my work for me. And I didn't want to do that. Right. So I, at, at that point, and it was for the Dare to be Stupid album, and it was, I think it was specifically for the song Dare to be Stupid. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just kind of kept going from there. But, it, you know, it's not just about machines. I mean, it's about sounds and there's other... Sure sequence kind of things that happen beyond what a machine does and i've had to stay current with that so yeah i've, I've been forced to learn a lot and it's come in very handy and it's been great and uh, you know I've, I've touched on what they call sound design which is not just sequencing parts but actually uh -huh. creating sounds and that, that starts to border on production as well yeah well if and i remember if i'm correct i believe one of the first times that you played uh, live didn't you have to use a was it al's accordion case or something that you were playing uh drum on wasn't that one of the first live recordings i can't remember what show that was on well the the very first thing i did with al the night i met him on the dr demento show he was debuting his new song which was another one rides the bus mm -hmm. and he just had everyone all the the sort of cast members in the studio all did something i was at, at the show i was being interviewed just talking about stuff i had sent to demento five six seven years previous and so Alan asked if I would beat on his accordion case and I did and, and then that was it and, and uh, you know I, I said something to the effect of uh, you know that was that was fun you should have a band I'll be your drummer and it just kind of went from there 
That's amazing. So you've adapted from <laughs> literally from an accordion case all the way up to the highest, you know, production value digital drum set. Well, uh, you know, somewhat. Yeah. I mean, I, I was playing drums prior to that, but the, you know, the accordion case thing that would just come out in concert just because that was the sound. Mm -hmm. sure. You know, we didn't attempt to, to do the queen version of a note of bites right. the dust. I mean, we, we did our version the way we did it complete with hand claps and mm -hmm. horns and duck calls and all that stuff. That was the deal with that. And I did go through more than a few accordion cases. And I still have that very first accordion case. And that was Al's first accordion case that he got when he, I think just before, it was like a day before his seventh birthday or something like that. And, and it's kind of beat up, but it's still in one piece and uh, still has his yeah. name on there. Uh, Alfred Yankovic in a like a blue Dymo label. If you remember those, the embossed stick on labels. Yes. And that's, uh, that's in the archive. That's I mean, in that's the a archive. real prize. Yeah. Now, and right now, so you're on tour, you're doing a symphonic tour. Is that correct? Yes, we have a symphony, uh, 38, 40 pieces, sometimes more. Uh, it's a different group each night. We don't travel with them. We bring our own conductor, so he knows our show. Sure. And uh, he works with them in the afternoon, takes them through the show, and we play with them. And, you know, with any luck, it works out. Actually, it's worked out very, very well. And some of the parts are very imaginative. Now, some, some songs we do have orchestration in them, have horns and strings mm -hmm. and things like that. A lot of them... You know, parts were just cooked up. I mean, Smells Like Nirvana uh, didn't have anything that an orchestra has in it, but that didn't stop the people that orchestrated parts for it. So, and it actually works pretty well. Dare to be Stupid, uh, same thing. That was all synths. Well, now it's a lot of orchestra. And it works. It really adds a lot. It hasn't changed what we do. We still play the way we play, mm -hmm. and they're playing along with us, but it, it adds something that, uh, that we never had before. So it's very cool. And how does that work for you? I'm curious because... Is this your first time playing with an orchestra? Uh, no, I mean, I've okay. played both set and, and percussion instruments in an orchestra. I mean, I've been used to following a conductor for you know more than 40 years. So this is, and this is, tour actually represents like the second time we're working with an orchestra. The, the first time the band worked with an orchestra was in uh, 2016 at the Hollywood Bowl. We did two nights there and the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra, wrote out parts for our show and That's played right. along with us. And that, that just that sparked this thing in Al because it was just, it was so cool. It just, it sounded so great. And uh, he said, I, you know, I really want to do this now. He already had the 2018 tour planned. So, mm -hmm. you know, the uh, strings attached tour had to wait an additional year, but this, this whole 2019 tour started, the inception was back in 2016. That's amazing. And have you faced, I mean, obviously you've played before, but is, is smells like Nirvana. Is that just one song that's caused in some interpretation opportunities or are there others that have jumped out that you've noticed? I, well, that, that's an interpretation because there was no counterpart. Now we do mm -hmm. the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota and that has strings and stuff in it. So it mm -hmm. wasn't too much of a stretch to, you know, add some orchestral stuff to that. Uh, we do Harvey, the wonder hamster, which is, which is marching band stuff. Mm -hmm. Although it's mostly a string arrangement with, you know, with the orchestras we're having now a uh, weasel stopping day, which is a really nice string arrangement, Jurassic park, which is uh, strings oh, yeah. and horns. I mean, it's just the stuff we're doing. We, we inserted some things that lend themselves to an orchestra, but we're also doing things that didn't necessarily have parts. Mm -hmm. uh, word crimes. They cooked up some parts, some accents that go with the song. And it works really well. I mean, it really does. It works. It's not a gimmick. It's just it's it adds to what we do. So it's very cool. That's great. So it seems like right now you're on tour. For anyone out there, if you're interested, you should definitely check out weirdal.com, right? Yes, weirdal.com uh, slash tour, mm -hmm. and that will give uh, that has links for tickets. It has, uh, of course, the dates. The venue tells what uh, the upcoming dates are. The uh, 
it's sort of an interesting tour. I mean, most tours sort of, they don't go in a straight line. So we're going back and forth and up and down, circling back down, eventually winding up in the Midwest where we mm -hmm. just came from. But we're hitting, uh, we're hitting most places uh, across the country and through Canada. In fact, we just came from Toronto. We'll be in uh, Western Canada through Calgary uh, later in August. That's great. But, uh, we're covering just about every, we're covering every major metro area. So it's uh, it's going well, and uh, we're looking forward to it. We'll be out through September 1st. Now, this always seems to come up. I mean, drumming is a, a difficult position. I mean, you look across from, you know, the drummers that have been around a while. It does take some physical wear and tear. How, how do you feel, you know, physically holding up for all those all the drumming you've done? Well, I'm, I'm doing okay. I mean, I, I'll be 63 shortly, and, and um, in, I think pretty good shape. I mean, I'm not getting all beat up. I don't have tendonitis or arthritis or, mm -hmm. you know, some of the things that, that uh, drummers tend to get. Then again, we only play three or four months a year, and that's two out of three years. So I'm, it's not, I'm not beating myself up ten months a year, year after year. I have a chance chance to recoup a little bit, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not playing as hard as I used to. That's not to say I'm not slamming, but I'm just mm -hmm. I'm not beating the heck out of the drums the way I used to. I'm not flailing around, and, and I'm just I'm taking it a little bit easier. And, you know, I'm, I'm playing, I, I hope, as good as I ever did, maybe better. Yeah, there's no drum solos, okay? We're not... And no, no lengthy <laughs> solos to tax my, uh, you know. And, no, I, I, I do more than one hit, but not much these days. And how about the other bands? So you said once you were going to be wrapping up this tour, do you have anything set up to head out to work with your other bands? Well, I've got, I've got uh, upcoming gigs with them. Uh, there's one band that books gigs a year in advance. So I know through September, I knew in January where I'd be playing in December with them already. Mm -hmm. It just, it depends. You know, they all know when I'm coming back to town and, and uh, some of them have uh, booked some gigs already that I've accepted. And, uh, you know, I play once or twice a week. You know, it's not a, I wouldn't call it full time, mm -hmm. but it's nice to do because I just, I enjoy playing, you know, and I enjoy working with some different people and I enjoy the people I play with. So it's as, as much a social thing as you know, getting to play and making a few bucks as well. You say something very interesting, you know, you enjoy playing and that's really what drives me as well. I mean, you've got to enjoy what you're doing, keep doing it. And I know you've had an opportunity to play with some great people. For example, if I am correct, I believe on Craigslist was Ray Manzarek. Wasn't, didn't he play keys on that? He, he did the keyboards. Now he did that in a separate studio. Okay. Uh, you know, Al was there, however, Al directed him. Uh, so yeah, we're on the same track, although we didn't, uh, we didn't beat him mm -hmm. and sadly he's passed away. So there's, true. there's no chance of getting him to come see a show at this point, but right. no, that was cool. Uh, Dweezil Zappa played the opening guitar lick on Genius in France. Uh, mm. Ben Folds played the piano on, uh, why does this always happen to me? I believe, uh, is Ben Folds gotcha. on piano because it, it sort of has that style and Al thought, well, let's get Ben to actually play it. And, uh, and he did. So that's kind of cool too, and I did, and I did meet Ben, so that was cool. Yeah, that's that's got it. Like you said, you get to go to so many places, meet so many musicians, and then on top of that, drum—the thing that you love. Are there any other causes or anything else that you're linked to that keep you moving? No, not really. I mean, I, I drum and I stay at home with uh, my wife and dogs, and uh, we we travel a little bit, and and that's it. I mean, it, it's a good life. I'm very very privileged to be able to play music for a living, so I I try and. Uh, I take my off time seriously, and I take my drumming time seriously. And uh, you know, again, I'm I'm lucky to have hooked up with someone that's got the longevity that Al does, because uh, there's not many people like that. In fact, there's only there's only one other band that's been together longer than us with the original members, and and they're still working and had a number one album as their last album. That's U2. 
That's the only other band that's done what we've done longer than we've done it. Yeah, because I was thinking it could be Aerosmith. I know the no, Rolling. Yeah, they had some changes. Cheap Tricks had changes. That's amazing. Technically, Rush had changes, and they're not even a band anymore, so they don't count. ZZ Top technically had changes, although they're running a close second. That's but amazing. beyond that, there's only for sure there's only the one group, and that's we're in pretty good company as well. Yeah, you that may says have heard a lot. Of that. It's an Irish group, some uh, political, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> just, just, just two two letters in their name. But it is yeah. it is fascinating that longevity, and you know, I know, for example, Al has had his contract. He's completed and there's been some discussion about creating new music in the future and, and that's that's kind of out there but i'm so happy to see that you're you're out on the road and still touring and loving drumming and everything that you've done at tunes mate our goal of the site is to keep people thinking about music music they haven't discovered how one artist may inspire another artist so a couple tunes mate questions for you here the first one okay. is you know is there a song that when you instantly hear it gets you in a good mood Sure. <laughs> is, it doesn't yes, have to be is. one particularly, but you know, is there is there I, one I, or two? I don't know. I mean, I, I like you know, I like a lot of. I, in particular, I think I, I respond best to the music I grew up with, mm-hmm. meaning stuff from the '60s and '70s yeah. mostly, and a lot of okay. '80s stuff. And and that's you know, I think we all just respond. You know, you, you hear a song and it just sort of takes you back. Right. In that respect, it makes you feel good. So. You know, I think of old Motown songs. I like Beatles songs of Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on, on the harder edge, stuff like Cream and a little bit of Hendrix and some of the Stone stuff. So, uh, really, a lot of older stuff makes mm-hmm. me feel good. I, I think because it just evokes memories, not because, wow, I really love, you know, I can tap my foot to that song, but it just, <laughs> it takes me back to a good place. And I mean, that's, yeah. You know, I, and, I, and I like music that makes me feel good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's a lot of songs, I guess. I, I, it'd be hard to pick out one. It is hard tough. to pick out 20. Yeah. yeah, it is tough. And well, so then, well, I'll whittle it down to one that I'm, I'm going to gauge which way you're going to go. We, we do something we call title title, which is there are two titles of the same song, but they're completely different songs. So the one we have got running right now is Good Vibrations. So you've got Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys, and you've got Good Vibrations by Marky Mark. If you had to pick one song over the other, would you vote one or the other? I, I don't know the Marky Mark version, so I would have to say Beach okay. Boys. All right. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> with that song there. But we were talking on our, our last podcast the fact that there are some songs that just come out that are controversial, and that was one of them. When Good Vibrations came out, the sound of it, the way it invoked some, uh, you know, the lyrics caused a stir. And there are definite songs that do that, but they make you feel good. And that's exactly what I think, not to sound cheesy, but I really think the music that you've had the opportunity to drum and be available for the last 40 plus years makes people feel good. And I think that translates a lot into popular culture. I hope so. I mean, certainly with Al it does. But I, you know, I, I enjoy it. You know, it, it, But in my case, though, I, really, I enjoy playing songs even that I might not normally listen to. I mean, because I, I just enjoy playing drums. So it mm-hmm. kind of doesn't matter if I, if I like the song or not, although it's a bonus if I do. <laughs> but I still have fun drumming. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of songs, a lot of music I play that I don't have in my collection at home. And I've got about 3,100 CDs worth of music. And it's it's the rare song that I don't have in my collection. But there's a lot of stuff I play with some of these guys, and I don't, you know, it's not something I would normally listen to, but it's something I enjoy drumming to. So, so we'll have a challenge. We'll have a challenge for you, John. We'll have you look up "Good Vibrations" by Marky Mark and play along I to it. Do. I will do it because <laughs> it it definitely has a uh, upbeat and a very strong harmonic 
quality to it. So you can you can let us know the next round how you feel about it. Okay, I, hey, I may change my mind. Yeah, you never know. Well, I want to be respectful for time. I know we're we're right up against the the end of our podcast here. But was there you know anything you wanted to share or promote, or is there anything that you wanted to talk about before we jump off? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> Not really. Let's see. I like drumming. I've been playing with Alan many years. Uh, we got uh, orchestra with us. No, that's it. Perfect. Well, it's been a pleasure, John. I know you love what you do, and it definitely shows. And we appreciate that. And we hope everyone out there checks out the music that you've been a part of and gets connected to it and weaves it into their lives because that's what we're all about here at TunesMate. Oh, cool. Well, sounds great. Thanks, John. And everybody out there, we will see you next time on TunesMate. Thank you. All right. Thank you.